G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. We are going to be looking for insights into understanding what for many is called secret sexuality. Whether you are a struggler looking for hope, a spouse, a parent or a loved one seeking a biblical understanding of homosexuality or a pastor preparing yourself or your congregation for ministry, you'll glean some very, very valuable insights today. Our special guest is Daniel Mingo. He's visiting Australia from the United States. He's the founder of the ministry called Abba's Delight. It's a Christian ministry which assists Christian believers and families and friends of those who are gay-identified to resolve the conflict of the effects of homosexuality on their lives. Well, Daniel became a born-again Christian at age 17, yet for nearly 30 years secretly involved himself in homosexual activity through anonymous encounters. Daniel and his wife Fran were married in 1983, and they have three adult sons. And what a special welcome to you, Daniel Mingo. Great. Thank you, Neil, for having us here today. Daniel, you travel the world sharing your story and talking through all sorts of issues. Uh, is this the first time in Australia? It is. It we're is. loving it. Okay. <laughs> uh, so it's a little bit of a combined sightseeing and yet wonderful opportunities to speak with groups that have invited you specifically to be able to share your story and your insights into how you've dealt with the issues as they've evolved over your lifetime. I mentioned a few things there in the introduction. I wonder whether we might start by talking about this issue of secret sexuality, because whether you are homosexual or heterosexual, secret sexuality is an issue. And you might like to share some more on your own life story too. But but this issue of secret sexuality, a lot of people have a lot of secrets. I think secret sexuality is rampant in the church, not just here in Australia, but the church worldwide. If a, if a pastor in a congregation does not um, create an atmosphere within itself where it's okay to talk about your sin, then people are going to keep secrets. And that's what I found myself doing. Well, this is very important because sometimes if you are open about your secret sins, uh, secret sexuality, then you might expect condemnation to come from the church. Uh, and this is one of the reasons why you would want to keep things secret. Oh, I agree. I agree. It is for fear of, of being condemned, fear of being judged, fear of fear of being ostracized. But I don't believe the that's a biblical um, position for the church. Um, the church, I believe, is meant to be a spiritual hospital. Um, James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. If I want to get forgiven, I go to God. But if I want healing for the things that I'm going through and the sins that I'm having to face in my life, then I need to be able to confess that to a brother I need to be able to open up my life and confess that to a brother and say, this is what I'm struggling with, and this is where I need your prayer, and this is where I need help. 
Our churches need to be that to one another. Of course, there are inconsistencies, aren't there, in the way that our lives evolve. And uh, over many years, uh, times when you've dealt with and struggled with issues of secret sexuality, and then times when you've had things perhaps worked out and you feel like the problem's solved, and then there's times of relapse. So really, there's there's an awful lot of complication that can happen when you share your secret sins or when you're on this journey and you're on a journey towards having an orderly life. Well, and that's true of any Christian for any sin that they're dealing with, whether it's secret or not. We are not perfect because of the fall, because of of our our being born into sin. Uh, We are not naturally good, as, as many people think is the case. We are born into sin, and because of that sin, our tendency is toward evil. We must learn to uh, practice godliness. We must learn to put on righteousness, uh, and we must learn to choose in every situation, no matter what the situation is, whether we're going to choose God's way or whether we're going to go off our own way. And we always have a choice. Daniel, take us back to some of your story. I mentioned that at age 17, you came to faith in Christ. Yes. And uh, obviously had been struggling with sexuality issues uh, from your teenage years. Uh, Take us back into those early days and the way things developed over this 30 years. My same-sex attractions developed long before I became a born-again Christian. Um, I first noticed same-sex attractions um, when I was probably around 10 or 11 years old, um, I had an early exposure to pornography, which did not help. Um, and, and although, uh, the feelings were not actually sexualized at that time, there was a keen interest in males, um, where there wasn't a keen interest yet with females. Um, my first sexual experiences were with girls. And, and they weren't really sexual experiences. Um, they were exploring nudity, you know, curiosity. But they were with girls. Um, and then uh, it wasn't until I was 13 uh, when I was molested by a stranger um, that and, and beginning puberty that those feelings um, of uh, wanting to be like other boys um, because I, I saw myself different than them. Uh, it wasn't until puberty and everything becomes sexualized that I began the attractions to boys and males. Is it the case that there is a natural curiosity and the developing sexuality that we would have as ordinary, normal human beings? As you say, the fascination with nudity, uh, yes. clearly that, you know, for every young boy, uh, that becomes a level of expression of, uh, of enjoyment, uh, that actually is probably a, nat- a natural part of a, a developing sexuality. But when you get to a point where you've got this natural curiosity uh, that then moves to the unnatural obsession, yes. uh, this is the issue I think we're talking about today. And, uh, and you're saying that you had a, uh, an abusive encounter that did that intensify your uh, your yearnings? How did that work? It, it did, but it wasn't the only uh, factor, Neil. Um, for me, there were several other factors that that were involved in contributing to 
this direction towards same-sex attraction. Um, I, I did not have a good relationship with my dad. I didn't bond well with other boys. Um, I was the uh, artistic, creative um, uh, son. And, you know, the other 95% of boys out there are the rough and tumble. Um, I'm, I'm not the rough and tumble boy. I never was. And so even though I tried to fit in to that world because that's who everyone else was, uh, I failed miserably at that. Um, I excelled at singing and acting and dancing. Um, those are the things I was good at and where I derived the most um, uh, uh, pleasure from and also the most approval from. Um, but there was still a longing to be like the other boys. So that that longing, that envy to be like them also becomes sexualized when puberty hits and it turns to attraction. Um, hearing, hearing words like sissy and uh, queer, um, mama's boy. I grew up in the 50s and 60s. Uh, the word gay was not uh, a word then. It, at least it didn't mean what it means now. It meant culture. happy then. Yes, it meant happy. So, so there was some peer labeling. And when a child begins to hear that often enough, he begins to think that maybe there's something to that. Um, and, and I didn't have positive reinforcements coming into my life um, to be able to combat those negative messages I was receiving. And that became my reality. That was my perception of what my world was, and a child's perception is a child's reality. Take us to age 17 when you had an encounter with Christ. You came to faith in Christ. Uh, your biography says you became a born-again Christian at age 17. And that wasn't the cure for <laughs> these sorts of uh, ways, these feelings, uh, these sexuality uh, uh, direction that you were in. Uh, take us to what it meant to come to faith in Christ and then still to battle with sexuality. Neil, I was born um, into a Roman Catholic family, and I had a basic understanding of Christianity because of that. And I, and I knew that God could do anything. Um, I was not comfortable um, being a boy. And I used to pray to God to change me into a girl. Um, I knew that Jesus came to die for our sins, and I would cry out to him. But it wasn't until that age 17 that I heard a salvation message. Um, there was This was in 1970 in the United States where I grew up, and uh, it was the first time I had heard a salvation message preached, and it was actually part of um, the lives of two friends of mine from high school who had rededicated their lives to the Lord, and they were sharing with me as part of a revival that was going on in their college um, that they had rededicated their lives to the Lord. So when I heard that Jesus could come into my life, save me from my sins, and uh give me a purpose for life, I jumped at the chance. And that was my born-again experience. And yes, I did have it in my mind that Jesus was going to take away all of these um, attractions that I had that I knew instinctively were not were not of God. 
Um, but that was not the case. It didn't happen that way. Life, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Well, taking an opportunity today to talk about what for many is called secret sexuality and issues that you might face as a Christian believer, and it might be happening within your family, it might be happening within your marriage. Well, we'll be talking through some of those issues, and you might like to contribute, you might have a question that you would like to ask. Uh, Our special guest is Daniel Mingo. He is the founder of the ministry called Abba's Delight. Before we go another step further, let's talk about Abba's Delight, uh, because it is the name of the ministry that you've formed, and there must be some special reason why it's called that. Daniel, uh, what's the reason? When the Lord directed me to start this ministry, um, he began uh, speaking to my heart about different things, different aspects of the ministry that he wanted me to do. I wanted to be certain that I was doing it his way and not just because I had a nice idea. Um, so he actually gave me the name Abba's Delight. Abba is the Hebrew word that means daddy. And for many people who are in the gay life and many people even who have walked away from the gay life, um, they've had this feeling this belief that that God hates them and that they are an abomination and that couldn't be any further from the truth. So the Lord gave me that, that name, I believe, to convey his love for them, that I am the delight of my heavenly father. And then on top of that, beyond just giving me the name, he gave me a scripture verse to go along with it a short time later. And it's Psalm eighteen nineteen b that says he rescued me because he delighted in me. There's a series of contradictions that happen because in our circumstances, when we talk from a Christian ministry point of view, of course, where we're promoting marriage and we talk about a biblical view of marriage between a man and a woman. So for those who are struggling with secret sexuality issues and homosexuality issues, as you say, there is a certain sense of condemnation that can come to a person simply because you stand for a particular position on marriage. And it creates this challenge for people who are same-sex attracted. And you've just described something so powerful. Even in the name of the ministry, as you've chosen, Abba's Delight, it is therapeutic for someone who is same-sex attracted because just because the church stands for a biblical truth, there is a challenge there because it sounds in condemnation. I guess you could say that. <laughs> Sorry. I, I, I'm just, uh, just fishing for your reactions yeah, on those things. Um, you know, the the Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And and that is a wonderful truth. Sometimes we have to work up to those truths to be able to believe them. Um, th- there's a difference between believing something in the Bible, but believing it for ourselves. I I know, I knew Jesus loves me. I knew that all along in my mind. But there was a time in my life where I thought, well, Jesus loves everybody but me because look at all the things that I've done. Look at how I've treated him. And it took a while for me to get to the place where I knew that Jesus loves Daniel Mingo. And sometimes it takes us a while to get there in our lives. Nevertheless, it is the truth. 
Daniel, take us to the time you married Fran. I think that was 1983. Yes. And even marrying Fran in a heterosexual relationship, and I'm assuming that you were in a church at this time, and this is part of yes. uh, the conflict that begins to emerge, that uh, you're having these sexual desires, the secret sexuality. Uh, you've got a great, brave face looking good in church on Sunday, and all of these things are going on behind the scenes. I wonder if you can explain and describe what was going on in your own life uh, in those early years in your marriage. Well, when I got born again at 17, that was just a few months before I turned 18. And after I got born again, there was a sense that I always knew that I was supposed to grow up to be a husband and a father. Um, and I had dated through high school. I had dated girls through high school. And so I began at 18 looking for my wife. And uh, unfortunately, or, or fortunately, it, I, I probably was not ready before that time. Um, nevertheless, I, I, I met Fran at age 30. Um, by that time, I was convinced that, yes, I am supposed to be a husband and a father. Um, along the way, I would tell my pastors that I was dealing with um, unwanted same-sex attractions. But this was in the 70s and early 80s, and pastors were not used to hearing those things from their congregants. And so they they really didn't know how to respond. I remember the very first time I told a pastor as well-meaning as he was, his response to me was, well, you know, that's a sin, cut it out. Which, you know, there's truth in that, but there's not much help in that. Um, And so I got to the point where I stopped telling pastors that it was a problem because they just didn't know how to deal with it. That was where the secret would come and go. So when it came time to marry Fran and my pastors were involved in uh, uh, marrying us and, and, um, uh, counseling with us and those kinds of things. Um, they were not in on the secret because it was still a secret. We're taking calls on 1-800-316-316 and a very challenging conversation today. You might like to join in. You can also leave a comment on our facebook.com forward slash vision radio Facebook page. But let's take a call from Sue, who is in Underwood in Queensland. Hello, Sue. Welcome along. Hello. How are you? I'm well. Thank you, Sue. What are your thoughts for our conversation today? Uh, I have two things um, that I just wanted to bring up. One thing is being female and uh, knowing the love of God and what that means to me and how that I know that God is my protector, my provider, um, he's a lover of my soul. Um, I wanted to get um, your uh, response on what does that look like for a male, um, the love of God. Um, to me, I see it as a very... Uh, I, I just just wanted to get your idea of, of how how you interpret that, the love of God for you as a, as a male and, and what that means to you because... Sometimes to me, um, it's such a personal thing for me. I think, wow, you know, um, the love of God, he's the love of my soul. He's kind of like um, the be-all and end-all to me in every aspect and emotionally, mentally, uh, even physically for me. He is everything to me. And I just wanted to know how does that relate to... I hope this is making sense. But It I does, Sue, it does make sense. Let's get a response from Daniel. Sue, thank you for that question. That's, that's an amazing insight. 
Um, I, I think it can be different for a male, but I think it can also be the same for a male as for women. Um, I had to come to the place in my life where, uh, as I said earlier, I had to recognize that God loved me. And not only did he love me, he chose me. And as I began to realize that he chose me to be a part of his family, a part of the kingdom of God here on earth, as he chose me, knowing, you know, because he's, he's, you know, all knowing, knowing about my life, nothing I ever did in my life surprised him. Nothing I will ever do going on from now will surprise him, but he still loves me. And as flawed as I am, he still chooses to use me and to have an impact on other people's lives the way other people, other Christians have had an impact on my life. I'm not special. I mean, I'm special to him because I'm his son, but I'm not any more special than anyone else. I am God's son whom he chooses to use and whom he loves, and that's never going to change. He is the lover of my soul. Sue, how does that, does that answer your question? Yes, it does, but I just have a quick question about something else. Sure. Um, you mentioned the, the aspect of uh, pastors not knowing how to handle uh, situations, and it's kind of like pushing dirt underneath the rug, so to speak, and it's like um, people internalize that then and they keep it as a secret, and that causes that situation to um, become not manageable for them because it's start to become out of control but they feel like they can't talk to people about it and you have to be careful about who you actually talk to and get ministry from I believe because of that reason but in the church in general I think sometimes we can um, inhibit people from actually getting the prayer and getting the restoration uh, through prayer and through the power of God's grace to Good thoughts Sue, let's get a response from Daniel So I think that's why it's incumbent on pastors and church staff to create an atmosphere within their own congregations where it's okay to talk about sin and I th- their own sin. And I think that has to start with the pastor. When was the last time you went to a church or heard anyone talk of going to a church where the ta- pastor talked about his own sins? You know, we have, as, as humans, we have acceptable sins. And then we have the ones that we don't talk about. Um, uh, we have addictions that we deal with. And we have acceptable addictions like um, someone addicted to drugs or someone addicted to alcohol or someone addicted to shopping. You know, we can talk about those. But when was the last time you saw somebody stand up in church and talk about their addictions to pornography or sec- other sexual addictions? When was the last time, if ever, you heard anybody say, I'm attracted to young children. You know, that's like the taboo thing. I think I think we have to come to the place where our churches are willing to talk about these sins openly. And it has to start with the clergy. Thank you so much to Sue from Underwood. And we'll take some more calls after the news that's coming up in about 90 seconds or so from now. 
Uh, let me just ask you, though, if the pastor was to get up and talk about his sexual sins uh, or his uh, his uh, the way that he might be moving in that direction, he wouldn't be the pastor for much longer. So there's a certain pre- pre- self-preservation involved in that whole idea. We assume that our pastor is working in what we'd call you know, a Christian victory, a victory over those sins. But you have noticed... In your ministry, Daniel, that's not always the case. Sometimes your pastor is struggling with these things as well, and no doubt they need some specialized ministry attention. Yes, that's true. And and in those cases where the pastor is loved, there can always be restoration. It doesn't automatically mean that a pastor, depending on, on what he's dealing with, that a pastor has to be removed from his position. But as long as, as he's getting help you know it's 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 impossible it creates an impossible situation for a congregation to believe that their pastor has to be perfect daniel i don't want to disappoint listeners why don't we take some more calls and uh, we'll get some insight or questions from listeners daniel's been waiting patiently from campbelltown in new south wales uh, one daniel to another hello daniel <laughs> welcome along Hello, Daniel. Hi, how are you? Very well. Daniel, what are your thoughts, or do you have a question for our guest? Uh, just a few comments. I actually struggled with same-sex attraction myself from a very young age, and um, my teenage years were a little bit difficult because I wasn't a Christian when I discovered that I had a same-sex attraction. So I believed in God, I did, and I actually, when I realized that I had the attraction, I asked God to remove it, to take it away, because um, I went to an all-boys high school, and you can imagine what happened when they all found out. Yeah. So that was very difficult for me. And um, But I became a born-again Christian at the age of 30, and I'm 43 now, so that's 13 years with the Lord now. And um, I suppose he's broken the power of it um, off of my life, but there are some minor struggles still in my mind about it. Uh, Daniel, your response uh, for Daniel in Campbelltown. Almost everybody I know, Daniel, has prayed and asked God to take away these attractions And, in fact, many that I know of, that I've heard of over the years, have said they went ahead into a gay life or went back to a gay life um, because God did not take those attractions away. My, My own personal experience with that was when I was praying to the Lord to take those away and and did that daily for years and years and years. I finally sensed the Lord speaking to me and saying, I I will not take those away from you because I did not give them to you. You must surrender them. And to me, that was a revelation. You know, I, I, I had these attractions. I didn't want the attractions, but my continued acting out on those attractions was still holding on to them. And so it, it wasn't until... I came to the place where um, I was willing to surrender them to him that I began to get freedom. Now, freedom doesn't necessarily mean all of the attractions will go away to the same gender. It doesn't mean that necessarily that I'm going to go from a homosexual orientation to a heterosexual orientation. God does that in some people through a miraculous touch, and I have no idea why. But I only know a handful of people that that's happened with over the over my 25 years in my own recovery process. 
most everyone gets some kind of change as they grow closer to the Lord. And the fact is, if it wasn't same-sex attraction that I was dealing with, I'd be dealing with something else. And so there is always something that we will be uh, living our lives for in overcoming. But the most important thing is that we're focusing on our relationship with the Lord and allowing him to make whatever changes in our lives he wants to make. In fact, homosexuality or same-sex attraction may not be the top thing on his priority list for me. So I just need to I just need to draw close to the Lord, knowing the promise that as I draw close to him, he's going to draw close to me. And if he removes my same-sex attractions along the way, and for me they have lessened significantly, but if he removes them completely along the way, then that's a serendipity. Thank you so much to Daniel in Campbelltown. We are taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Robin, also in Campbelltown. Hello, Robin. Welcome along. Oh, Robin. hello. <clears throat> yes. Um, look, I suppose you've read Dave Wilkinson's book, Crossing the Switchblade. Um, he says in his book that he was, because he was dealing with those that had addictions, drugs and prostitution mostly, with the women, and he said that none, none of them, as far as he knew, uh, got completely free from all that until they were baptized in the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. Those that weren't baptized in the Holy Spirit, even though they had an encounter with Christ, or even perhaps got born again, um, they all, nearly all went back into that lifestyle. But only those that were baptized in the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. And one of the things that he insisted in his uh, community, in the Teen Challenge, that they were not, none of them were to talk about what had taken place. They were not to talk about the past. That was forbidden. And I think otherwise they had to leave the community if they did. Robin, good insights there. Let's get a response. And just to mention, when we talk about that experience, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, not all denominations uh, will say that there is a baptism of the Holy Spirit and the speaking in tongues. It is a little bit of a controversy, not a major one, I would think. But there is this experience, and particularly Pentecostals talk about that. What are your thoughts, Daniel, on the spirituality aspects and encounters that happen along the way of your Christian walk that will in- enable you to uh, to get on top of some of these things? I have read The Cross and the Switchblade. I read it back in the 70s. I saw the movie when it came out. Um, uh, I myself was baptized in the Holy Spirit shortly after my born-again experience a few months later. I have the gift of praying in tongues. I use it daily. Um, I've used it uh, ever since I um, received the baptism of the Holy Spirit experience. And I also recognize that a lot of denominations do not accept um, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit as for today. Um, In my personal life, I have found that in my addiction recovery my prayer language, my praying in tongues, has been the strongest um, tool that the Lord has given me to resist um, temptations to act out um, in any way, um, whether it be hooking up with someone or whether it be pornography or whatever. Um, so I recognize that. Um, 
as far as as that having worked for people in that time, I think we're in a different time. Um, I, I think the principle is there, but I think because um, we are a, we are a different people now um, than we were um, forty five fifty years ago. Uh, God operates in us differently. Um, so, and and I know many 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 like myself who are baptized in the spirit who are same sex attracted who do have the prayer language and i encourage them to use their prayer language as a tool just like i do um but um the, the those who have that experience um are still few and far between where the attractions have completely gone away Thank you so much to Robin for your call. A caller rang through and doesn't want to talk on the radio. Uh, They know someone who has struggled with watching pornography. They seem to have it under control and have become accountable to other trusted individuals, but struggles still with temptation. Is there a way to stop temptations altogether? Is that even possible? If not, what advice can you offer to help? I don't believe... uh um, temptations leaving us completely as human beings on, on this side of heaven, uh, I don't think that's ever going to happen. We will always be tempted with something. And if it wasn't pornography, it would be something else. Um, and, and I don't believe that God is sitting on the throne with clipboard in hand, striking hash marks every time we blow it up. Oh, there goes Daniel again. Uh, he's not doing that. He's a loving father. And he wants to draw us to himself. He is ready to forgive. And as long as we are ready to confess our sins, John, first uh, John, first chapter says he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we have to repent from those sins, 70 times seven, which is like infinity, you know, mm-hmm. if we, if, if we have to continue to repent, um, that's not a problem. He wants us. He wants our hearts. He, he wants our heart. I believe that we desire to please him with our life more than he wants to see if we get it right every single time. What I can hear you say is that there is a process in your life. And sometimes we talk about sanctification. It's a process that we're going through from the moment when we have that first encounter with Christ. And there will be a time when we will be sanctified, but this process of sanctification is working. And when we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit or encounters that you might have along the way, you're talking about something that doesn't immediately take away the temptation, but on the journey that you are on, the temptations become lessened uh, and you really fit more into what God's particular plan for you might be. Is that a fair enough way to talk about process? Yes, I agree with that. <laughs> um, I I have a teaching that I do that's called process is not a four-letter word. Um, most of us don't love the process, and we need to learn as believers to love the process. We need to learn how to engage the process and not expect that everything is going to be instantaneous just because we become aware of it or just because we ask. When Jesus said, um, um, uh, ask and you shall find, uh, no, ask and, and you sh- it shall be given to you, seek and you yep. shall find, yep. knock and it shall be opened. The Greek word there is ask and keep asking. 
seek and keep seeking, knock and keep knocking. Um, for us to have this one and done mentality with Christianity is not uh, a biblical perspective of how we should go through life. And so the the process of um, uh, overcoming sin uh, is just that. It's a, it's a process. Some sins we will overcome easier than others, um, but we will always have sin this side of heaven to deal Take, with. Taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Darren in Queensland. Hello, Darren. Welcome along. Hi, Darren. Hey, hello. How are you today? Very well, Darren. Hey. What are your thoughts? Um, I'll just... Uh, I've never had a struggle in this area. I mean, I've had plenty of struggles in other areas. And um, I'm just asking um, when spiritual leaders and pastors um, counsel people that do um, fight this um, battle in their life, um, do you think it's helpful when they um, use uh, scriptures where they say to people, oh, your name's going to be blotted out of the Lamb's Book of Life and um, are you you still living in the flesh? And... Uh, things to that context, and then additionally, when uh, I've been guilty of this too, uh, we, as Christians, we come out and uh, we say these things like um, Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. And uh, what's your answer to that? Um, is that just do you think that's very damaging to these people? Or I think I think it is not helpful at all. The the specific um, things that you cited. Um, you know, to say, you know, Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, that that if you're talking to a person in the gay life, that completely turns them off. Scripture is helpful. Scripture is truth. Um, and that can be helpful. But a lot of times the church doesn't use scripture wisely. Um, Christians tend to beat people over the head with the word of God, and that's not helpful at all. Um, the Bible says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. You cannot separate the truth from the grace. You cannot separate the grace from the truth. Jesus was both, and he was fully both. He was fully truth. He was fully grace. And so that's what we must look to do. Now, the church has the truth part pretty well in hand. We don't so much have the grace part fully well in hand. Most of the times when the word grace is used in the New Testament— the meaning for that Greek word is the – I'm sorry. It just left me. Okay. <laughs> I can look it up. It, it, let's go on to something else, but I can look it up and come All back right. to well, it. Well, if we come back to that, uh, thank you so much to Darren from Underwood. And uh, let's draw a line under any calls here. Just uh, – a uh, few minutes remaining for our conversation, and that might come back to you, Daniel. Uh, but let me ask you uh, about the idea of recovery and uh, talking from your own experience, because you married your wife, Fran, uh, back in 1983. That means uh, that's a 35-year marriage that you have now. Yes. And it took you until 10 years into your marriage when you shared with Fran that you were having these struggles. I wonder if you can take us back to that time uh, and uh, and and share what happened that, that put you on a road to real recovery here because your wife is involved in this whole circumstance. Yes. Um, I, was, I was unfaithful to my wife for the first 10 years of our marriage, and I was doing that in secret as well. 
and under the powerful conviction of and, – and, and I want to say, too, there was never a time when I considered walking away from the Lord because this was going on in my life. There was never a time that I wanted to embrace a gay identity. There was never a time when I wanted to be in any kind of relationship with a man. Um, and so I had this internal struggle going on, and I would cry out to the Lord constantly. For me, the acting out became an addiction, and the struggle was that I didn't know how to deal with the addiction, and it was also during a time when a lot of people didn't even believe that you could be addicted to sex. You know, alcohol was fine, and, and, and nicotine was fine, and some other things were fine, but nobody was, nobody was um, accepting, um, very few were accepting that, that uh, you could be addicted to sex. So when the Holy Spirit broke through to me, uh, as I was crying out to the Lord on the way home from a trip where I was acting out, um, what the Holy Spirit said was, Daniel, it's time to tell Fran. And I knew that was the voice of the Holy Spirit. Um, as much as I wanted to yell, get thee behind me, Satan, I knew it was the Holy Spirit. But instead of rushing home to tell her, the first thing I did was I went and told my pastor. And we talked about it and we prayed about it for a while to make sure that's what God was saying. Came back together a few weeks later. And then we began praying for three specific things that I would have the right words to tell her, that I would know the right time to tell her, and most importantly, that God would prepare her heart to hear it. And so we prayed, came back together again in another few weeks, and all I could do was trust that God was driving this bus and leading me to do this and trust that he would take care of whatever the responses and the ramifications were going to be. And at this moment, when you share these things with Fran, this is the beginning of what you would say is this transformation process to getting things in order in your life. Uh, from that point on, no doubt that was a rough time, and I'm sure we could spend another hour talking <laughs> just about that. Yes. Uh, but uh, but you, we haven't got time to. Uh, but so far as sharing those things with Fran... Working through all of those things that would have become complications to you immediately, uh, Fran's emotions, Fran's uh, own uh, the way that she would have accepted or not accepted, uh, really even the risk that she might have walked away from you. But this is this is the creation of a point when you have actually been strengthened by sharing that with Fran, and now you work walk that journey together. Yes, exactly. So in walking the journey together, you become in some ways synchronized in your life. And so then your marriage becomes the greatest protection against moving off in different directions with secret sexuality. Yes, um, our, our marriage has definitely been strengthened by this. Um, I believe we have a testimony to other couples who have gone through similar things um, because of what God has done in our marriage. Now, we had some struggles when I first shared it with her. We had to make sure that I wasn't um, bringing home any kind of disease. Um, Fran uh, had questions. You know, is he attracted to me at all? Um, are, are there things that I could have done? Uh, are there things that I need to do differently? Um, how can I trust him again? And we had to work through those issues. I needed to rebuild trust with her. And I did whatever I could voluntarily. And I think that's part of the difference in our story with maybe some others is that I volunteered this information to her. 
albeit 10 years after the marriage started, it was still something I volunteered to her rather than having gotten caught doing something. And that makes a huge difference. I wish we could expand a lot on that because that does make a huge difference when you are the one who up front uh, humbles yourself and admits your own circumstance, your own sin, your own emotional turmoil. So when we have this sharing of a journey together, I imagine that you and Fran have set boundaries for one another. And so you probably travel together and you're probably planning your schedule together. No doubt there's a certain accountability that comes when you are actually walking together. There is an accountability that comes, but Fran is not my primary accountability partner, nor does she want to be. Um, It's important for her that she knows that I do have accountability in place and that I'm, and that I am, uh, uh, utilizing the tools that are available to me for accountability. I still go to weekly meetings when I'm at home for my own ongoing, uh, uh, recovery process. She needs to know that I'm going to those meetings early on. Um, if I were leaving my day job and on my way home, I would call her and say, I'm leaving the office now. I'm going to stop and get some gas on the way home. I should be home in 20 minutes. Oh, you say petrol, don't you? <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> we know um, what you're saying. But. Um, so so um, it was um, bringing those things into the relationship that helped rebuild trust and uh, caused uh, a comfortability in her for me to have my primary accountability outside of her. Well, we have run out of time, but I do want to make sure that listeners know how they can be in touch with you. Uh, I mentioned that Daniel Mingo uh, is the founder and ministry director of Abba's Delight, A-B-B-A, apostrophe S, Delight. Uh, the website for Abba's Delight, and people can just Google that, but is there a particular website that you'd like people to go to? Well, for my ministry, Abba's Delight, it's abbasdelight.com. So simple as that. Yes. Abbasdelight.com. And when people visit the website, they'll come across some resources. No doubt your story will be there. Yes. And, uh, and ways that they can take some steps forward when they're struggling in their circumstance. Yes, absolutely. Um, I can be contacted myself. I'm also, Abba's Delight is part of a, a, a network of other ministries like ours um, that's made up of ministries, uh, Christian churches, and Christian counselors who will all treat homosexuality and work with people from a biblical perspective. That network is called Hope for Wholeness, H-O-P-E-F-O-R-W-H-O-L-E-N-E-S-S dot org. Undoubtedly, uh, there are some listening to our conversation who will just be so empowered and encouraged by hearing your story and hearing that there is expertise available, someone who is a listening ear, someone who can offer biblical wisdom when they're going through these struggles with sexuality, secret sexuality, and really we've been talking about homosexuality this past hour, yes. uh, but there are all sorts of secret sexualities, and undoubtedly some of the same principles apply yes. uh, no matter what sort of secret sexuality we might be talking about Daniel Mingo, who is visiting Australia, founder of that ministry called Abba's Delight, abbasdelight.com. Daniel, thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. It's been a pleasure to be here. 
Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.